Thank you so much. We really appreciate being able to pray together this morning. <clears throat> We're finishing up the book of Romans, and, um, you know, as true to Renew Culture, we want to spend a little bit of time with, hanging out with each other. And this is our uh, question of the day. What is the biggest dream God has, uh, that God's given you? And so I hope that um, you could just kind of break off into groups of twos and threes and answer this question. And if you have someone that you don't know next to you, I'd love for you, for you to invite them in. I think more than like an occupation, right? So let me give uh, Ken, Dr. Ken, uh, he does, uh, he's a doctor who tackles cancer. And um, I think that's like his occupation, but maybe his dream is that the whole world would be cancer free, right? So it's like, at the end of your life, or at the end of what God's called you to do, what would you want the result of that to be? Or what is the biggest dream that kind of God has placed in front of you? So I'm going to give you guys uh, three, four, five minutes to talk that through, and then I'll come back up. All right, hope you guys got to share a little bit. Sorry to cut you off short. Uh, are you in the middle? Someone's in the middle of sharing. <laughs> I remember in high school, um, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this story extensively with you, but I went from a Christian, high, uh, Christian junior high to a public high school, and remember, like, public school is really tough for me, so going back in, I was like, oh, man, I really want friends. Like, all I really want is friends, right? So I was, like, willing to compromise all of my beliefs for friends, of course, like a typical high schooler. And then, so I went in, and the first identity I was, like, grabbing onto was being a baller, right? So I made the high school basketball team, which I was really excited about. And uh, every day I dribbled a class, you know, with the basketball, and I would wear basketball gear, and that was all of who I was. And then I tore my ACLs, and I was like, this sucks. I don't have basketball. I don't have my basketball friends anymore. So I wanted to be a gangster because Tupac was in, All Eyes on Me is coming out, you know, and like that was, that was the thing. It, now it's hipster before it was gangster. So I was hanging out with all the like wannabe diamond bar gangsters. And then, uh, but I felt convicted whenever I said the F word. And so um, it was hard to be a gangster and not say the F word. And so, <laughs> or get into fights. I remember there was a day where like all the Asian, all the Chinese people wanted to like fight the Koreans, and there was like like crowds of like thirty, and they like sent their best fighters. You know, I'm like, come on, guys, because I knew everybody. I was like, let's just get along. We could talk this out. You know, they're like, you're a bad gangster. You're a bad wannabe diamond bar gangster. And so I moved from there, and I was like, what if I'm like an IV kid? You know, like study really hard. They're cool. There's some like cool IV kids, like Detroit cool. Asian IV kids, but then I dropped out AP Bio because there's a lot of words and like phrases I couldn't read. And then finally, <coughs> in uh, junior year, God just kind of stopped me and He said, What if you found your identity in me first? That instead of being a baller or IV kid or a terrible gangster, what if you were Christian, right? And I felt like there was that conviction, so I pulled a few of my friends from church. I was like, what if we were Christian first, you know? And we gathered in this little Jeep to pray together and to, like, remind ourselves of our Christian identity. But we were, like, super ashamed to, like, pray on campus. And so my prayer meetings would be like, pretend my friend's here. Dear God, thank you for today. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, pretending to talk to him because I don't want people to know we're praying. But um, we got more comfortable, and um, I, I felt like God was saying, hey, this isn't just for you. It's for other Christians on campus, like finding their identity in me first. 
So I started inviting other friends in. And so our little, our little group of three and a Jeep became a group of five. And then uh, it became seven. So we opened the trunk and like, we were literally playing like, like driver's seat, passenger seat, three people, and then like trunk space, right? And then we got to 15. And I'm like, we don't fit in this car anymore. So we had to step outside and that was super scary. And then we got to 20 and 25 and God gave us more boldness. And so we went in front of the flagpole at Diamond Bar High School and then by the end of our, my junior year, we were about 70 students praying together from 6 o'clock in the morning all the way to, I think, 8 o'clock. And um, people stopped making fun of us because someone in their group was praying with us, right? So, like, they used to make fun of us, but then now it's like, oh, man, like, I would make fun of them, but one of my friends is there. We had, like, inter- we had, like uh, IV people, we had ASB people, we had cheerleaders, football players, goth people, teachers, and so... No one made fun of us anymore. Everyone did think we were still strange. And we do this like loud music thing where we brought out like drum sets and like I had like speakers up, but it only took, we had no outlet. So we just plugged in like, like triple D batteries or whatever, you know, it was like the most ghetto worship team, but we were just like blasting music. And um, God just like allowed Diamond Bar to experience some revival. We, kids would bring Bibles to school and, and share um, with their friends about Jesus. And as, as God was kind of doing that on our campus, I felt like him saying, this isn't just for your school. It's for schools um, in your area. And so I gathered one day, um, I had the opportunity to gather about 11 Christian club presidents from Wilson High School to Ayala, all the way down to uni. And I just kind of vision casted. A lot of them were doing it already. I was just like vision casting this morning prayer meeting thing and revival, and, you know, all my charismatic memories, and then, um, and they started up, and um, we had about 10 campuses do prayer meetings. One day, we had to meet you at the poll, and 250 students gathered at Roland High School, and we were just praying together, and the worship leader said, hey, let's just get on our knees, and I just remember all 250 students on their knees worshiping the Lord, Um, and uh, we had praise nights with a few thousand students. But my big dream was to take over um, Anaheim Stadium, you know, like the baseball thing. And I was like, God, one day I want to fill the stadium with like high schoolers. And I just like imagine like buses and buses of high school students going in there, you know, and I was like trying to call like whoever's in charge of Anaheim Stadium to like rent it to me because I had like 35 bucks saved up. And that was my big dream. And when I look at um, the book of Romans, Paul kind of ends, oh my gosh, that font is tiny. I hope you have your Bibles. Romans 15, um, verse 20. Paul kind of ends this book with his dream, his vision statement, his mission statement. What, does, what keeps him up at night? What inspired him to travel thou, uh, over 1,500 miles around the known world to plant churches? And what makes him tick in his own uh, writing the book of Romans and willingness to give up his life for the gospel. Here's his vision and mi- mission statement, and here's his dream. It says, <coughs> It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is, it is written, Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. At the core of Paul's heart, he wanted to be in regions with people who have never heard the gospel. 
He wanted to go to places where people weren't worshiping Jesus. He wanted to establish churches where there were no churches. That was his mission statement. And here's his vision. He said, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have uh, enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul's saying he wants to plant churches. Um, he wants to share the gospel. He wants people to see Jesus. He does that. He goes all over the known world, all over the Roman Empire. And now he's exhausted the places he wants to go to. <laughs> like he's done so much traveling. He's got kicked out of regions or he's successfully planted regions uh, in places that he has his eyes on Spain. He wants to go to kind of the last known um, great city in, in, in his Google Maps, right? So he's, that's where he has his eyes on. He's going to pass over Rome. He wants to talk to them, hang out. He wants them to uh, support his missionary work, and then he's going to go to Spain. You know, when I look at the Bible and I see these different heroes that we look up to, maybe one thing that I hope we can long for or, or that we could be jealous of is how so many of them had this really clear vision of why God put them on earth, what they were to do, right? Abraham sits with God and he says, I want you to be a nation that blesses all nations. And his life kind of revolves around that purpose, that mission. Moses gives his thesis to uh, Pharaoh when he says, let my people go. And it, and it like hinges, it anchors his life. When I think about David, he was appointed to be a king after God's own heart. He was a shadow of Jesus' future rule. And, and then Ruth, she tells Naomi, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, right? And so when, when I think about my life, and maybe even more so when I think about your life, what is the vision statement? What is the dream that God has for you? You know, our whole society is like, go look for your own purpose. Go find your own dream. Go define, go define your own journey. But what if, what if there's something better than that? What if God would place his dream into your heart so that the weight of it isn't, this is my dream. The weight of it, the beauty of it, is that this is God's dream and placed into me. And that was Paul, that was Abraham, that was Moses and David and Ruth. Well, when I think about what it looks like to live out God's dreams, we kind of think about like the big moments of our life coming from singular events, right? These, these massive turning points, and, and there are some. But what I see here in Paul is that his desire to... Um, accomplish God's dreams for him really comes down to these, real, to these small and minute moments of his life. Here's where I see it. Um, it says, yet I have written to you quite boldly. By the way, I skip around in Romans chapter 15, just to kind of, for the flow of the sermon. <clears throat> yet I have written uh, you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace 
God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, um, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I just want you to focus on this word minister here. <clears throat> he uses a very particular word. He could have talked about being a bond servant. He could have talked about being a laborer. But instead, he says the word minister. In the Greek, it's litorgon. And it's where the root word liturgy comes from. In other words, and liturgy is kind of what we're doing, right? This worship service in old school, you would say, oh, we're doing like liturgy here. And what he's really saying is that my life, who I am, is a worshiper. The entirety of my identity, the entirety of my life is to be worship to God. Every big and small moment is to be worship. And because he identifies himself as a worshiper, in his mind, everything he does now is for the goal of worship. Right? Out of who we are comes what we do. However you see yourself, you'll see your, the rest of your life, the rest of your actions out of that lens. And so Paul says, I am a worshiper, and my whole life is to be worshipped. And he says this not only in the big ways, not only when he stands before crowds and proclaims the gospel, not only when he plants churches, but I love this verse. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. As he's traveling hundreds of miles from city to city, he sees his next step in his travel on dirt ground, on unpaved roads, as a song, a verse in his worship to the Lord. When he sits down and drinks water, he's saying this is worship. Everything he does in his life, he offers it up to the Lord as worship. And I think oftentimes we can start to dissect our lives, right? Our Bible study, when we, when we uh, sing songs and go to church is worship. And, but this is work. This is my career. And this is my hobby. And this is my Netflix time. But Paul's saying that's not how you become the person that accomplishes God's dreams for you. The way you do that is to see all things as worship, the big and the small. You know, I think about Ruth. And how her worship was just staying with her mother-in-law when she lost her sons. Her worship is saying, Naomi, I am not going to leave you. That was, that was extravagant worship to the Lord. Her going to Naomi's home and being a faithful daughter-in-law was worship. And when Naomi sent her to the fields to pick barley and wheat, because there was a law there, right? Their welfare system in the Jewish culture was that you would harvest your, your wheat, but you don't pick up everything. You leave some for the foreigners, for the refugees. You leave some for the poor. And so um, Ruth would go and pick up these, like a, someone who's homeless or impoverished, she would go and pick up these grains. But she saw it as worship. And she did it diligently. And when Boaz's men talked about her, they said that she worked hard, that there was, a, there was character to her. And then she goes on and she marries Boaz. And it's just this really simplistic life. But it was worship. You know, I think about how Joseph worshipped while he was in prison. And he didn't know how long he'd be there. 
in my recollection, it's either seven or 12 years he stayed in prison, okay? But in his mind, he was there forever. And yet he worshiped the Lord in like, maybe he cleaned his cell really well, right? Everyone else's cell was dirty, but somehow jo- Joseph was like, manic- like cleaning his cell and being nice to people. And he got promoted as a prisoner, right? He was like the best prisoner of the year because he saw being in prison as worship. What the heck? That's amazing. His whole life was worship. And to me, what, what blows my mind is that Joseph, he has these dreams, right, of like being a ruler somehow. He's like trying to interpret his dreams, like my family's going to bow down, all of that. Okay, somehow I rule over. He's at Potiphar's house, and he's like, okay, I'm kind of ascending the ladder. I'm pretty high up, right? I'm second in command. Then the wife wants him to cheat on him. He, gets, he says no. He gets thrown into prison, and he's, like, worshiping there. And he's like, well, I guess I just end my life worshiping in prison, serving people in prison, helping people find God in prison. But it's his life of worship in these places that are dark and unseen that what is what promotes him to God's greatest dream for him. On the 7th or 12th year, sorry for my bad Bible research, you know, Pharaoh sends in his baker and his wine glass holder. He interprets their dreams faithfully as he's tuned his ear to God's voice. And that's how he becomes second in command in Egypt. We don't know how the small places of obedience in our life will lead us into God's dream for us. But I hope that Man, as you wake up in the middle of the night and just hold your kid and she still won't stop screaming, when you faithfully swift the floor for your wife so that, you know, she'll love, she'll forgive you, um, when you commute from, to work, when you hang out with your friends and watch Netflix, that all of that, all of it will be worship. That you could take your whole life top to bottom and write it into verses of a worship song and present it before the Lord. And it's okay when it's just eating and drinking. It's okay when it's just commuting. It's okay when you're laying your head down to rest. Do it mindful of the Lord. Do it in worship and praise to him. And you never know what dots he's going to connect so that it leads to his dreams for you. I have all, you know, Patrick put up this really awesome post. Um, Hey, one of the new families at our church, Donna, um, has a daughter that needs help moving her stuff. This is after he offers free lunch. Uh, From the second floor of her apartment to the first floor storage room. They will treat us to lunch after. He reinstates that fact. Very important. They told us that none of her friends have volunteered to help. So think of how God-glorifying of an example it would be to show Donna's daughter this, uh, to love Donna, Donna's daughter this way. Um, moving boxes as worship. You know, when Paul looks at these big dreams God's placed in front of him, you know, having the whole known world hear about Jesus and having church plants there, he says, I glory in <coughs> Jesus Christ. In my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what God 
has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Paul's saying, man, anything that is of value of my life, anything that I would even talk about revolves around what God's done for me. What, what Jesus has accomplished, what the Spirit has empowered me to do. I think if we really, whatever dream God has placed in our heart should have enough weight where we're like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> That's not possible for me. But when I look at Jesus, when I think about the Spirit of God residing in me, when I think about him being the one to accomplish it, right? Like when Gabe gave his statement of L.A. not only shaping the world in media, but shaping the world in the Christian faith, how much of that can you do? Pretty little. You can have a part of it. But it's really about Jesus. It's really about what he wants to do. I have this whole section on how obeying God allows us to accomplish what he's called us to do, but we have to skip that. Um, (laughs) So I'm just going to come to here. The best part about your, sorry, I missed the R, God dreams is that they are God's dreams, and God's dreams always come true. Um, When I think about these Bible heroes, right? When, When Abraham is promised to be a father of many nations, to bless all these nations. He gets, he gets to see one son. And there's a moment where God's like, I'm going to take that one son. And he's like, I guess. It's going to be very difficult for the rest of your plan to happen. I've tried sleeping with, you know, that other girl. Anyways, um, <laughs> Bible inside jokes. Um, he sees one son happen. Moses says, let my people go. He's He's like leading them. He's spending his entire life to get them to a promised land, and he gets to peer in, and that's it, right? David dreams about building out a, a temple, and all he hears is a promise that his son might be able to, will be able to do it. Paul has this heart to go to Spain, but he never gets there. But you know what? We're all part of Abraham's descendants. Every nation was blessed to Abraham. And Moses' people walked on the promised land. And the gospel reaches Spain and Asia and Africa and the rest of the world. When I heard about uh, Grace Huang saying, man, my dream is that she does foster care. She's like, I just want people who don't have a voice to have a voice, who are overlooked to be seen. And you know what? Jesus comes and every foster kid has a home. Jackie says, I want people with autism to be heard. And Jesus comes back. And everyone with autism speaks beautifully. And, and we hear them. Gabe says, I want L.A. to be transformed. And Jesus comes and rules over L.A. And all, everyone worships the Lord. I wanted to see a stadium filled with worshipers. That never happened. But When I get to heaven, every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to bow at Jesus' feet. The best part about living your life for God's dreams is that it will come true. And even if you don't get to see it, even if your descendants don't get to see it, right? It happens. Dr. Ken wants to cure cancer in heaven. There's no more cancer. 
And that's the hope we get to have in Jesus. That one day you might appear before the throne of God. Maybe like Jeremiah, who spent his whole time preaching to a rebellious nation, and they never turn. They never turn back to God. He, he's, his life is, is tortured, and they try to kill him multiple times. And he goes before the Lord, and he says, I have faithfully preached your word. People have tried to kill me again and again with spears, with all kinds of stuff, rocks and stones, and I still preached. And they didn't, they didn't turn to you. And Jesus will say, look around, because I've redeemed the Jewish nation too. I hope that you would spend your life on the dream that God's placed in you, that he has dreamt up for you, that he holds in his hand and that he will accomplish. God, we love you, and I thank you for this congregation of dreamers. And I pray that you would allow us to walk in faith and hope and vision in a way that would consume our lives. You know, that we wouldn't be caught up in running around in circles or in every direction, but that you would give us vision that would drive the rest of our life. Like you did with Moses and Abraham and Joseph and, and Ruth and Paul. And that we would have spent our life on something that you desire and that you dream about. Thank you so much for the gifts and talents in this room. I want to be about everyone's dream here in this room. I want to spend my life serving the dreams in this room that you have placed in my brothers and sisters. And we're grateful, Lord, because our hope isn't in us. Our hope isn't in us accomplishing it. Our hope is in you, God. And our hope will come to fruition. Um, We love you. We're grateful for you. We pray. We're so grateful for the ways that you bring all things together, that you make all things new that when Dr. Paul has to turn away people because he just doesn't have enough room, one day no one will be turned away. When Dr. Ken sees someone die of cancer, no one will die of cancer again in your kingdom. When, when uh, Katie and Patrick look at the map of unreached people and know that they can only be in one space, we thank you, Father, that one day there will be no nation that is unreached. And in all of our dreams, God, thank you for being the hero to accomplish it. And thank you for bringing us on the journey right now. In Jesus' name, amen.